The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Good morning, everyone. Um, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse uh, 4, going to 10. Um, Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distress, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad rapport and good rapport, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet we po- and yet possessing everything. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. Following Jesus in and around Jerusalem were, were learning to set aside what they had had as religi- religious practices. Um, but yet, there were still many that still believed, like Peter, that Jews were in many ways better than Gentiles. But God did a great work in Peter to change his heart and utilized him to continue to move the church forward. But I didn't want to add any confusion to that last week because at the end of the day, you and I need to continue to seek and, and push after unity. We need to continue to, to realize that not one of us has more value than anybody else in this room. Christ died for us all, right? And Christ has had a great love. And even though Abraham's family was tasked with an incredible blessing by, by calling him out out of all the people, his family line of faith was supposed to be a blessing to the rest of the world. God wanted and has always been looking for people to represent him in this world with the love that God has had and he's been seeking it all along. 
And so today this is what, um, to make 2 Corinthians 6 in light of Good Friday come to life, um, I've been kind of thinking about, well, who do I call out in the room as um, the biggest, strongest man? And then I'm like, well, that's not really, that would probably be embarrassing for some. You know, it's like only, all the men stand up and I just scour the room for the biggest, strongest man. And then I'm like, you know what? Hey, you come here for a minute and beat me up for 24 hours. Um, you know, that wouldn't, nest- some of you would be like, hey, sign me up. Can women be included? You know, um, but, um, but yet the illustration that Christ used in Matthew, Mark, and Luke was that the strong man of the house was going to be bound up so that the house could be looted. All right. Now, what I want us to grasp from that today is that when we truly understand Good Friday, when you and I understand fully what happened and took place from the arrest of Christ throughout the whole day, a whole morning of his beatings and ultimately him being placed on the cross and ultimately him calling out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And then his, this, then his spirit leaving him and him falling limp on the cross. There is a triumphal victory that took place by him fulfilling the covenant of God that we've been talking about. Fulfilling the covenant he had promised Abraham. Fulfilling the imagery of Passover, which Jesus on Easter for us was fulfilling all of these steps on what was Passover at the time that he was going into Jerusalem. And so the imagery is a strong man that is being beaten and bound up so that we can enter. And so this is the thing. If you want to understand our faith in Jesus, our faith is us meeting Jesus at the entrance to a jail and him looking at us saying, go tell everybody they're free. I, 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 want, you, I, I want this illustration to set on us just for a minute. If we understand Good Friday, Good Friday is Jesus standing at the entrance of, cap, of people held in captivity saying, I've bound up the jailer. Now go in and open up all the doors and tell people they can go. That is what we, the church, should have as the foundational understanding. But part of it is, is that we forget the fact that we were a rescuer that was rescued. So imagine for a moment that Jesus bound up that guard or the, the one that was in charge of that prison, and somehow our door got opened, and the word came to us, what Jesus had done, and we naturally have a rescuing giftedness, and now we turn and we start going and we start rescuing other people. But the problem is a lot of us were like, yes, the door is open and I am free. And then we just go live our life. And we walk right out by everybody else that that doesn't realize that they are still held in captivity, but they don't have to be there anymore. That is the joy of Easter. There's so much about what is happening in the New Testament revolves around the first century Christians gaining an understanding that nobody should be slaves to sin anymore. That idolatry... Is, is, is been dealt with. So there's no more focus on the wrong things in our lives. The, the power 
that was holding people captive, the power that had the ability to destroy, was removed. And so now we can go to people and say, you don't have to live bound up to that anymore. It has no more power over you because of Christ. And so this in light of the Passover for a moment. Let's come back to this because the title of the teaching today is that we're Passover people. Now, the issue with that is, is that we want, in the, in the tension of the way that the good news of Jesus Christ has been shared, has been that I have not had my sins forgiven. Jesus was punished for them so that I could spend eternity with God in heaven. And there's no rescuing language of me being involved in anybody else's rescue in that definition of, of what Christ did on the cross. We have got to figure out a way of shaping the gospel, the foundation for how we live, under the premise that, yes, our sins have been forgiven. Yes, Jesus fulfilled the covenant of love for us so that we could be set free. Yes, I'm going to spend eternity resurrected and alive in Christ, but I must be obedient to what God has for me now. Like there's a purpose and a plan for us until Jesus comes back. And if our salvation is solely so that I can go to heaven, then it makes it easy for us to walk by people in the city around us because I'm going to heaven. My sins have been forgiven. I don't have to announce to anybody else that their sins have been forgiven. I don't have to, but if we bring it back into the gospel, which I feel like Paul was doing, all throughout the letter to the Corinthian church, the Galatia church, the church in Ephesus, the church in Philippi, and what Peter even said in his first two letters that we have recorded in the New Testament for us. He used language like, you're a high priest, you're a holy nation, until Jesus comes back. And so we have a Passover people calling in our life. So let me paint this picture for you really quickly. If we go back to last week and we start thinking about the children of Israel coming out in the Exodus story, if the sacrifice has been made and the doorposts are covered, all of that death passed over, right? And the strong man was bound up so much so they got up the next morning and they were walking out free. Not only were they walking out free, they were being lavished with gifts. If you read the Exodus story, the children of Israel, when they were leaving, were being given gold and all kinds of food and items by the Egyptians and basically celebrating them going, like, here, go, take my good stuff with you. And they were, and let me just think about this for a minute. They were receiving gifts, but they were walking towards what? The desert. Right? They were free. But they were heading with all of their possessions either on them or in carts that they were pulling behind them with their family, with the elderly, with their young, and they were walking towards the desert. They weren't walking out of a prison and into a palace where they had servants. They weren't walking out being like, wow, all my needs are met. I'm not sweating a drop. I have nothing to do. I am secure. I am free. No, they literally had to walk to their promise. They had things that they had to carry. They were suffering for one another. Many of you right now have family that's sick, and you know what it's like to carry the load of a sick family member plus your normal work. 
You know what it's like to have um, something else pressing on you so that you can help somebody else get through a tough time. And so Passover people are a people that have been set free from what binds them up, but they are in a pathway to a promise, but there's work to do along the way. There is a weight to what we have to do. Now, what happens in the, in the wilderness, you can read this all throughout the letter in Deuteronomy, is enemies started attacking them, partly because they lost their faith at times. They were like, wow, I want to go back, like the whale we mentioned a couple of Sundays ago. is like they want to go back to captivity. Like, I, my freedom, I would rather be bound up than live free. And I, yeah, I want God to do one more trick. I want God to perform one more miraculous sign rather than be celebrating what God had already done for them. And the people like us are just constantly back and forth. And next thing you know, enemies are attacking and discouragement's coming. And rather than thinking about other people, the nation of Israel were were letting people lag behind in the wilderness and the Amalekites attacked them and literally killed people that were lagging behind. And in an environment that's rugged, Desert, mountains, carrying items. Who would have lagged behind? Children? What was that? Older people. How about maybe some children with Down syndrome? Somebody that maybe had lost a leg in a work accident. A single mom with four kids. Sick people. So where should they have been? In the middle. I mean, goodness sakes, the penguins know how to take care of each other. If you've ever watched the March of the Penguins, they know how to keep people rotated towards the middle so that they're warm and protected from the elements. But why do we continually in the journey of our life forget what God has called us to? Because we just want to get out of here. We just want to be in heaven. We just want eternity. Like, Lord, please just come back. Right? And I'll have to admit, I pray that way many times a day. But there's a moment where you and I have got to realize we've got to wake up and, and, and identify the fact that Christ is our example and that there is a special calling in our life to be Passover people, that we're going around announcing to people that the chains are off, the doors are open. You don't have to live in this captivity and bondage to sin any longer. You can. Now, that's part of the reason why people don't trust the church anymore. Because the church, I've heard it said, the church is so heavenly-minded, we're no earthly good, right? Is that we've learned to talk about the glories of God, but yet we don't show it in the way that we care for one another. We, we're not willing to suffer for somebody else. I mean, somebody will come up to us and we're like, oh man, I don't have time for this. That's what people feel from the church. People that are looking and are absolutely in need of other people to get up underneath of them and to encourage them. And so we have a message that we've been freed. We've had a, we have a message that we've been given gifts. We have a message that we will be resurrected. We have a message that there is a faithful promise to you and I. Come, Grandma, join this. Come, Jimmy, you know, come, Sally, come. You know, like going around looking at people, like, look, we've been invited to something special. Come on. Let's do this together. And when they don't understand, we take time to explain to them what Christ has done for us. The powers of evil were bound up on Good Friday. 
the powers of evil, the reason why Jesus died is so that those things that held us in captivity no longer held us in captivity anymore. Jesus' followers have been given a new task, and it's something that has to do with the power of a suffering love. Now, some of you automatically already tuned that out, and if I could have one of you close that door, I believe the reason why the temperature in the room is going up is because the heat's being pumped on another floor. The heat's not even on on this floor, and it feels like, is it getting hot in here or is it just me? Okay, all right. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't getting a fever. But this, this is not even on, and I believe there's heat on another floor that's just pumping into this space. Um, and so I'm sorry for all of that, but try to push through and stay focused on this because here's the situation. The reason why we just want to get to eternity and the reason why I feel like in, church, in the modern church history we've made it solely about forgiveness of sins so that we can go to heaven is because it's too painful to live here on earth. And we haven't had a good theology of how suffering can bring joy and can bring um, peace to other people. Because we want a selfish faith where we want to go out of our bondage right into our promise. Rather than coming out of our bondage and taking other people to that same promise. Because it takes hard work. I don't know if you've ever had to convince somebody to get out of trouble. It is a very difficult thing to be able to do. But Jesus' death launched a revolution. It started something different in the world. And it wasn't that it was the end of something. I believe Jesus stepped right into the middle and gave up his life so that you and I could join him in a rescue mission. I mean, now imagine what it would be like if you and I were trained national Coast Guard helicopter like rescue out in the deep sea ocean, um, and we were trained to do so, and we were held in captivity, and we were set free um, from our captors while ships were being sunk off the shore, and we just walked away. And we didn't, we didn't put our swimming techniques to the, to, the, to the test. We didn't put our abilities to come into difficult circumstances. We just were like, look, wow, I'm just glad I'm free. Now, I mean, people that are trained to rescue people, I mean, it's like an adrenaline rush for them. Like they are designed and wired, let me get to the danger. That's what our faith in Jesus should motivate in us. Our faith in Jesus should motivate us to say, you know what, Jesus as an example of great love is bringing to us the opportunity to move forward. And so some of you follow me on social media and I got a few comments on this, but this is a popular saying, um, why plant a tree in a garden that's going to be um, dug up tomorrow? Um, and this is really where the analogies come from. It's part of the reason why um, there's a lot of controversy on why a lot of times Christians aren't the ones um, leading the care for the planet, right? It's like a lot of times it's other people that don't believe in Jesus that are more concerned about the Chesapeake Bay becoming swimmable, um, the, you know, cleaning up parts of the city. Many times they're led by people that are not faithful, in faith, living in faith towards Jesus, but are concerned about the planet, is because a lot of Christians believe that it's just going to get torched. So why waste the time? Like, why take the time for me to plant a tree in my backyard if I'm just going to dig it up to put a patio on it next summer? So you usually, when you're getting ready to do that, you just let it all go and get all weedy and rocky, and then you just live with it until the, the trucks come in to pull back the dirt, and then you just pour over concrete and put a fire pit in, and then you're ready to go, right? 
But a lot of people view our lives as just waiting to get out of here. When in actuality, there's a renewal and a restorative message to what Jesus Christ did. And I kept, I've talked about this repeatedly in the last few weeks, is that we're Beatitude Christians. We're Sermon on the Mount Christians. If you and I don't know what to do in following Jesus, we read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And there's nothing in there about just letting it get all weedy. There's nothing in there about letting it just get all trashed. Our commission to be God's agent in the world only got stronger because now the enemy that has been antagonizing the world has finally been bound up. And Jesus has looked at, looked at his disciples and he's telling his disciples, look at their disciples, saying, go plunder it. Go tell people. Let them know. He's no longer. Yes, there's remnants of him around. And there's patterns in this world and systemic issues in this world, but we as the church get to stand up against them. Our Christian mission, I believe our Christian calling, and I put this on a slide for you, is means that we get to live out and implement the victory that Jesus won on the cross. What do Christians do? We implement the victory that Jesus won on the cross. That's what we do every day. I'd, I'd write that on your mirror. Today I get to go implement the victory that Jesus won on the cross. So I get to go around and face people with a great amount of love and help them see the victory that has come through Jesus, the representative, through his substitutionary death. Like for all of you that have big biblical language like atonement, substitutionary death, all these different things, the motivation is for us to do this. And so then we get to go and look people in the face and say, hey, because Jesus bound up the strong man, you and I can walk out of this situation. Oh, you know what? It's going to cost me to suffer to do it, so I'm going to show you. I'm going to lay my life down for you like Jesus laid his life down for me, even if it costs me a whole lot. And so the victory, and here's the thing, and we talked about it a little bit last week with the idolatry in Romans chapter 1. The powers that Jesus defeated got their powers because of idolatry. And so the more you and I focus on gods other than our God, the more that we continue to give them power. But they're bound up sitting there thinking, oh, look, those people are so stupid. They're still worshiping me, but I can't do anything. Right? I mean, literally, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, how many times in the early letters did Paul look at the church, say, wake up, grow up, open your eyes, because the, the powers were bound on Good Friday. They no longer have an impact on you and I. We can move forward. The rescued human beings, those of us that have an awareness of what Jesus has done for us, have a commission to set other, other people free. The we reflect Jesus' image in the world in between the heaven and earth. Look at how many moments in the Gospels Jesus was between the two. His baptism, veil was pulled back, heaven and earth meet. Mountain of transfiguration, veil was pulled back, God's voice was heard, Elijah shows up, right? Other people, you know, it's, it's a moment where Peter was like, let's build temples or tabernacles up here because heaven and earth came together. When you and I follow after the example of Christ, you and I are in between people. We aren't living solely for the earth, and we're not fully in heaven yet. We're standing in the gap telling people, look, the door's open. The door's open. 
And no matter what's blinding you or confusing you, you and I now have a role to say to people, look, it is Christ. Yes, there's been a lot of confusion around him, and I am going to take as much time as it needs, as I need to, to help you see that Jesus' death won a victory, and now we're going to start celebrating it together. But unfortunately, we are glad that our sins are forgiven, but we are in fear of going cell by cell, telling people that the door is no longer locked and that they're no longer bound by that. And we've got to, as a church, overcome that. And yes, it's going to become harder and harder, especially in our country today, where there's so much confusion around who Jesus really was and what Christians really do, because a lot of Christians have television time and microphone time, and they're not really representing Christ well. But there's also a lot of them that are. And we've got to help people see the difference between the the, the truth and the lies so that their feet can truly be placed upon the foundation of Christ. So somehow you and I have got to have a way of finding ourselves even into verses like Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4 that reminded the church in Galatia that, that Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present age according to the will of God our Father. That's not just for us to be comfortable and that's just that's for us to tell people. Paul was saying this to them as a reminder to them about who they were supposed to be. Rescued rescuers. Justified justice bringers. That's what we're supposed to be. We are reconciled to be reconcilers. Much like the nation of Israel was a Passover people, we too need to become a Passover people. This is why after Easter we're going to start a series in the book of Acts because I want us to grasp what it looks like to be rescue, rescued rescuers. There are so many texts that we need to go to today to make this point even more and more clear, but it is just way too much for us to try to get into one teaching, so we're going to spread it out over 40 teachings. And so we're going to walk through the book of Acts together, because we need to understand that how do we make sense of the martyrs in the book of Acts? How do we make sense of the men and women on the shores of the Middle East who lost their heads saying the name of Jesus in our generation? How do we make sense of that in light of a, I've been saved so I can go to heaven? We need to get to the point where we realize what our rescuing mission looks like and what we're really called towards. When we look at the book of Acts, there were riots that believers did and riots that non-believers did. We need to make sense of what it looks like to see the tension of our faith lived out in public. A lot of us in here right now, um, if we were to go to our workplace and you were to mention the name of Jesus, if we were to honestly evaluate ourselves, how many people at our workplace would even know that we walked with Jesus? And so in the book of Acts, for the first time, they were stepping out of their religious background, which for a lot of it was um, Judaism. In other parts of the book of Acts, they came out of all different types of God worship because it was, they were Gentiles and everybody had a God. It wasn't an atheistic culture. It was very much a, um, what is it, uh, multiple gods. What's the word for that? Polytheistic? Yes, thank you. Um, mental cramp there. Um, and so how do we make sense of that? And then how do we make sense of their failures? The book of Acts lists repeatedly how the early church failed, 
how they failed to accept some people, how they actually failed in their mission. There were times where Paul's ship even got shipwrecked and he was going to drown. And then he's washed up on shore. He's in prison. That sounds like a failure to us. So many times it looked like people were heading to do one thing and they got derailed and had to do something else that was totally not their plan. How do we deal with failure? Let's just talk about that for a Sunday. So many of us have plans that we've set out for in our life and we feel like failures. You will find people like you in the book of Acts that were trying to make sense of a resurrected Jesus and what that meant for their life when things in their life were not going the way they planned it. And so we as a church have got to grow in our maturity and our understanding of what it looks like for us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And so, so much of the book of Acts is about the victory of the cross being implemented by the means of the cross. Let that rest on you just for a moment. The victory of the cross is being implemented by the means of the cross. But there's not a lot of us that really want to go lay ourselves down on a cross, do we? We don't want to give up our lives so that somebody else can have life. That's why 2 Corinthians 6, 4-10 through 10, that was read to us was so powerful. One of the dangers of us saying too easily that the Messiah died for our sins is the image that thereafter there would be no more dying to do. That's part of the pain and the confusion that's in, especially the church in America. There's other Christians around the world that don't struggle with this. They're not struggling with giving themselves up for somebody else. But something has happened to the church that I have to be a part of, where I'm being asked to shepherd a a, a generation in the church where we want it to be comfortable or to be evacuated from it, We don't want to be present in it, nor do we want to be present in it and have anything to do with a cross. And so when we look at the book of Acts, we are realizing that the cross became a symbol to them for how they lived for the sake of other people. We don't want there to be any more suffering to do. So 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 10, let me read this again to you. Rather, as a servant of God, we commend ourselves in every way. In every way. In great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, in riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and sincere love in truthful speech, in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through God, excuse me, through glory and dishonor, bad report, good report, genuine, yet regarded as imposters. Right? I mean, they were, they were being genuine, but yet people thought they were being fake. Known, yet regarded as unknown. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know the people at that gallery church. You know, they take care of the poor, they love people, but try to forget them. Dying, and yet we live on. Beaten, and yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, and yet possessing everything. I mean, it is just the life 
of what it looks like to be a resurrection people. Now, if Paul was standing here giving you this message, he would not look as put together as I do right now. All right, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not claiming to be anything special, but I will say this. I look a lot better than Paul does. I have not been beaten publicly and drug out of town. I have not been lashed like the Romans lashed, where they held one back so they didn't take his life. Beaten to an inch of his life is really what the Romans became really good at. They knew how much the human body could take and would quit right before they took the last part. That's Paul. Beaten by the church, beaten by Rome, beaten by shipwreck. He had been thrown stones at. If he was standing here today, he would not be an attractive man. He would probably look like a hockey player. Right? No teeth, scars on the face, bruises everywhere, places where surgeries had taken place. Now, you tell me, delivering this message, looking like that, how many of you be like, I want to follow Jesus? We want to look at a pastor that looks like life is good. We want to follow people that look like as if everything that I do in Jesus' name is going to be gold. Flowers every day. Joy in my heart every day. When in actuality, if that is the message you're looking for, I just want to tell you our eyes are looking in the wrong direction, but you're not going to find that here. We are going to be a people that is going to learn what it looks like to take up our cross for other people. And that means that some of us might actually have physical distress, emotional distress, spiritual distress placed upon us. That's why it's so important that we figure out how to be the family of God, because we're not meant to do that in isolation. We're not meant to do the Christian faith as, well, Jesus died for me, so I'm going to go live my faith out by myself. It is a family affair. We claim a dad. We are brothers and sisters. We work as a family. The problem is, is that we don't want to talk to each other. We want there to be an easy button. We don't want to go through the hardships. We don't want to be convicted of our own sin. That's why we avoid accountability. Who wants to open themselves up to somebody else? We all want to speak in other people's lives, but none of us want to be spoken to. And so we're trying to figure out in the church, what does it look like to be cross for one another people? Where we are trying to figure it out. Where we're trying to walk in this, but too much about what's happening in our life is just about us getting out of here rather than joining into a rescue effort that may cost us our lives, that may cost us all different types of pain. Paul is redundantly talking to the early church that suffering and dying is the way by which the world is going to change. That's why we're going to take the next year to look at the book of Acts. Because that's how the early church literally took over the Roman Empire in 300 years. Now again, there have been really bad instances in human history, and we will talk about them. There have been times where the church had as their evangelism strategy sword and shield. They were wrong. They felt like certain victories, they were right. But they got to the end of that pathway, and the church realized that it was wrong. Millions of lives taken in the name of Jesus. The church has made mistakes. We need to not be that church. 
we can't react to that by saying, well, I'm not going to have any public ministry because I don't want to be associated with that. We can't live in fear. Jesus gives us confidence with humility. We've got to learn how they go together. I'm going to read Romans 5, 3 through 5 for us in Romans 8, 17 through 25. And so um, you can write these down, Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Guys, let me just tell you this. This is the Christian faith. This is what we're really called to. It isn't just a forgiveness of sins so that a red carpet can be rolled out in front of me so that I can go into the suite by and by. There are some steps before the red carpet. I promise you, there is a promised, fulfilled, that is going to be better than any of us could ever imagine. But the issue is, is Jesus wants us to join him in hurting people towards it. He wants us to actively be engaged to that. Everything you long for, everything you desire, every um, Miss America speech, peace on earth, is what we all long for. And it will be true. It will be, because the, the strong man has been bound up. And that's what we get to keep pushing people towards. In Romans 8, 17 through 25, I'm going to read this to you in the message version. That's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present times and the coming good times. Listen, the present time and the coming good time. That created world itself can hardly wait for what's next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. All around us as we observe a pregnant creation, the different times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pains. But, not, but it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing within us. We are also feeling the birth pains. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That's why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. They are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging in us. But the longer we wait, the longer we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. I love how Eugene Peterson summarized that for us. That is a beautiful picture of what it looks like for us to walk in the power of Good Friday. We are now pregnant with hope and dealing with the pains of pregnancy. But one day we're going to stare hope in the face. We will see it. It will come our way. The Messiah so what does it mean for the church? This is what I think it means. The Messiah suffered and won the victory over the powers of evil. And the church, Jesus' people, must suffer in the present as an example of Christ who was raised to life. In this way, we also announce Christ's victory. We, in our suffering, are announcing his victory. The world-changing task. I love how... Um, 
One commentary put it, the world-changing task of God's people in the present, rooted in the Messiah's victorious suffering, has as its ultimate depth in prayer, particularly the prayer that comes from the indescribable depths of the suffering-laden heart. In the same way, too, the Spirit comes alongside and helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for as we ought to, but the same Spirit leads on our behalf with groans that are too deep for words. The searcher of hearts, the the Father in heaven, knows what the Spirit is thinking because the Spirit pleads for God's people according to God's will. And this is what he's summarizing, this commentator, Romans 8, 26 and 27. Listen to this. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside helping us along the way. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groaning. He knows, as, he knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and keeps us present before God. That's why we can, do so, we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Yes, this is perplexing. And if we were a woman, all of us, some of us are not, (laughs) we would understand more this illustration of longing for a child, becoming pregnant, and enduring pregnancy to look at the child in the face. We can talk about that from the stage like this, But unless you've experienced it, you really don't know what that means. But in our faith, that's what we're experiencing. This unbelievable condition of hope that is in us. But we will face suffering in the midst of it. It is a slow road. Right, ladies? Those of you that have had children, it is a slow road. And it seems slower as you get closer to the end. Jesus could have called how many legions of angels? Thousands, the Gospels say, to have done it in an instant. But Jesus chose a Sermon on the Mount people to do it slowly. Now, you can argue with him on whether or not you like his plan or his strategy, but let me just tell you this. He's honored us by asking us to participate in his great plan. That's an honor to be commissioned, to be a part of what God wants to do in the world. He doesn't want to pass us by. We don't understand the true treasure of what it is. One day we will, and we're going to be glad we did. Others of us are going to be there and be like, oh, man, I really didn't do anything. And now Jesus is going to be wiping tears off our face. We're going to be all snotty, and we're going to be standing in the throne room of heaven. We're just going to be like, whoa, how did this pass me by? But yet today we're having our eyes open to the fact that God wants us to participate in him. And so I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up because here's the best way to close this teaching. We have two tables set up that are a great example 
of what this is all about. If we're going to be Passover people, we need to understand what the Lord's table is all about. Paul seemed to be aware of the cross in almost all of his writings, and he almost always referenced the meal as a way of publicly announcing what was true, that Christ's body was broken, that his blood was poured out, that he used covenant language, that his blood was poured out for the covenant that he had had for the forgiveness of sins. His body was broken for that. And so when you and I today get a chance through our belief and our faith in Christ, as we get to come to the table and participate in that, celebrating the victory that the strong man is bound up and we're no longer bound by our sin, the chains are off, we can walk as a free people, but yet we now live the life that Christ lived for other people, and we're now willing to lay our lives down for others. It is a way of us to share in the death experience with Christ, knowing that we too are promised a resurrected life.